0: As we mentioned, our text is Acts chapter 12. We will not reread that. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 64, stanzas one and two. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our church federation came into existence, let's say 70 years ago, with its roots in the Netherlands in 1944. 1944. It came into existence because of theological controversy, church political actions. It was not a nice time. Nobody wanted a new federation. And this was a small federation. It was vulnerable. It was a difficult time. But it had two men who were amazing leaders, Dr. Klaas Skilder and Dr. Ben Halwarda. These men are well-known to this day, not just in reform circles, but even beyond that. Many people have in their personal libraries the trilogy of Skilder on the suffering, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. These were gifted men, a real blessing to the church. Less than eight years after that church had begun, in March of 1952, Skilder died of a massive heart attack. He was 61. A month later, Ben Halberda also died. Unexpectedly, he was 42, and the churches were shattered. They depended so heavily on these two men. They had so much to give, so much to do, and they died. And there were questions. Why, God, would you do something like that? We needed those men. How could you take them away from us just like that? Now, those kind of questions come up more often. We've had that here in our own country with our Theological Seminary. We've had two young, very talented professors, both struck at a very young age with Alzheimer's or something like that, Dr. DeYoung and Dr. Hoches. It was shattering for our churches and for our Theological Seminary. But you, in your own life, you may have had it too that your spouse was taken away, child, brother or sister, or your parent, the questions are asked, Lord, why would you do that? Why would you make me a widow at such a young age? Why would you take away my, my child who is so young and their whole future is ahead of them? I knew of a couple, they got married one weekend. All their family and friends were there, they had a great celebration. After the wedding, the, the couple left on their honeymoon. A drunk driver crossed the highway, hit them, and killed them both. Next weekend, all the family and friends were together again, same group, same crowd. This time it was for a funeral rather than a wedding. A lot of questions. Oh God, why would you do a thing like that? In our text this afternoon, we also have some questions. Some amazing things are happening, not very nice things. You have Andrew, you have. James, the brother of John, who was martyred. He's an apostle. It's early in in, in the Pentecost church, and suddenly the Lord allows him to be martyred. But then he saves Peter. Then he kills the protagonist. He kills that, that mean old politician, Herod Agrippa I. He asks a lot of questions. Lord, why do you do it this way? Let James die, save Peter, and then deal with this politician in the way that you do. Some things will become evident this afternoon, and one thing is that no man or woman is indispensable. No person is so great that we as a church or as a family cannot do without them. We need humility. Every person is replaceable. Every person has to live as if today could be his or her last. The other thing that we need to realize is that God doesn't do things according to our wisdom and our understanding, he has a plan that doesn't always make sense. I like to underline that. God's plan doesn't always make sense to us. But his plan is good. And it will always work out for our salvation and the glory of his name. We'll see that this afternoon under this theme. And I'm really happy that you have a printed copy of it because I like the theme in heads, but they are a bit complicated. God watches over his church and carries out his plan, even when it seems so unclear to us. We'll look, first of all, at a powerful king in a praying church, then at an awful king in an awkward church, and finally a dead king in a dynamic church. We read in our text about King Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. That's the guy who killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem around the time of Jesus' birth. Herod the Great had married a Jew, which makes the Herod Agrippa in our text a part Jew. And he liked that. He lived in Jerusalem. He got along famously with the Jewish people. He was very popular with them. And that was a a beautiful relationship, anyway, in their opinion, a beautiful relationship that they had together. Now, Saul had just been converted, so he was no longer persecuting the church. So Herod Agrippa, he became the go-to guy, the politician who was now going to take out this upstart Christian church, the followers of Jesus Christ. And he began to persecute the church. He arrested James. It's the brother of John. These are the two sons of Zebedee, one of the disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. He arrested him, and then he killed him, executed him. He became a martyr. This is 44 AD, about 14, 15 years after the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herod Agrippa watched. uh, The Jews, they, they love this. This is great. You know, we've got to slaughter more of these guys. We've got to rid the face of the earth of these so-called Christians, these followers of Jesus Christ. Great, says Agrippa. I'm up for that." And he arrested Peter. But it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. There was to be no trial during this period of time. But after the festival was over, there would be a trial. You have to understand, brothers and sisters, that Jerusalem was packed with Jews from all over the world. This trial was going to be a public spectacle, and the outcome was pretty clear. Peter was going down. Peter would be found guilty, and Peter would be executed himself. So what do we read? Well, we read in verse 5 that, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church is faced with a, a terrible enemy, What's it going to do? Well, whenever you face an enemy, you've got a few options. You can attack, you can run, or you can get some sort of defense. If someone comes at you with a gun, you can get armor, you can run, or you can get a bigger gun. That's not as strange as it sounds if you think of the history of our world. You think of Ireland during the past century. It's not just political strife there, but it was religious strife, using of guns and bombs and horrible things. So what was the Christian church to do? Was it going to get armor? Was it going to get a big gun or a special ops team to, to sneak into prison, kill the guards, and, and sneak Peter out of there? What did they do? No, brothers and sisters, what the church did is they prayed. And that's the most powerful tool, or if you want to call it a weapon, uh, the most powerful tool or weapon of all. Because when you pray, the universe stands at attention. Heaven itself, in the words of the book of Revelation, falls silent. God says, Shh, silence. Somebody is praying. The angels listen, and God listens. Someone's crying. Someone is in need. Help is required. This should be so obvious to us, brothers and sisters. Our Lord Jesus Christ, before his ascension, said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he's in heaven as King of kings, Lord of lords. He's running this world. Paul explains that in, at the end of Ephesians 1 when he says God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's as, as, as entirely logical, and Paul works that out in Ephesians 1. God elected us to salvation before the world was even made. He sent his Son to die for us on the cross, We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Do you think that anything could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing can touch the apple of God's eye. And therefore, when a Christian prays and when the church prays, heaven is listening. The most powerful force, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is himself standing at attention, ready to help out ready to do what's needed. Now, that's not to say that what the church asks is is a specific request where the Lord will go exactly to what we say. We don't know what the Lord is going to do. We pray, and we leave it in the Lord's hands and say, Lord, you know the situation. You know what's best. Help us out in this matter. Brothers and sisters, that's something that we need to understand In our lives, whether it was a few decades ago when the church was stunned with the death of Skilder and and Holberda, or we today look at our young professors no longer able to teach, or we in our lives are, are struggling with things, what we know is we can always pray to God. And if sometimes we falter in our words, the Holy Spirit will assist us with sighs too deep for words. He searches our heart and brings to the throne of God's grace our very needs. We bring it to God, we leave it in his hands, and we trust. And if you're quiet and you're attentive, you will see the answer that God gives. God always gives an answer. God always works it out. In my own personal situation, I was a young man, a young minister, when my father suddenly died. I depended on him so heavily. He was my friend, a very wise man. Whenever I had a problem, I'd phone Dad and give me advice. The Lord took him away, no matter how hard I prayed. And I realized afterwards the Lord was giving me an answer. He said, Richard, it's time to grow up and be a man. Stand on your own two feet." The Lord gives an answer, and he did it because I brought it to him in prayer. I'll give another example. In the early 90s, the Mississippi River was flooding, and the National Guard was sent out to anyone in the floodplain to rescue them. There was this house in the path of the flood. The National Guard pulled up in a jeep and said, we've come here to save you. And the man said, I pray to God, and I put my trust in him. I don't need you. They came later when the flood hit. He was in the upper floor. They came in a boat. He says, it's okay. I pray to God. i leave it in his hands. Finally, they came in a helicopter when he was sitting on the roof of his house, and he says, no need. I pray to God. I trust in him. He'll rescue me. And he drowned, not realizing that he had prayed to God, and God gave him the answer. He sent a jeep you sent a boat, you sent a helicopter. You know, when we pray to God, you, we don't say, Lord, this is how you're going to do it for me. Uh, once we start to dictate to God how, how we want him to answer our prayers, we're going to look for a utopia in this world. There will be no utopia. We wait for that in the new heaven and the new earth. We bring our trials and tribulations, our griefs and our struggles to the Lord in prayer. And we trust that he will provide, and we'll get our answer. Sometimes he teaches us that through trials and tribulations, our faith is tested, our faith is made stronger. We see that here in our text. We have this church shattered. The first apostle is murdered. The second apostle, Peter, is about to go on a trial. He's going to die, right? They call out to God, put it in his hands, and and sit back and watch how the Lord will work it out for the glory of his name and the salvation of the church that brings us to our our second point an awful king and an awkward church this is not the first time that Peter has been arrested in Acts 5 all the apostles were arrested they were in prison and they were rescued by a miracle but this time the situation was different somebody had died in fact, earlier Stephen had been executed as well. Stephen had been executed. James is now dead. Peter's in prison. And you've got this awful politician who's out for blood and out for murder. There's no escape. And Peter's lying in prison. He's wrapped up in chains, sleeping there between two guards. How are you going to get out of that? But something happens, which is so amazing, that Peter is convinced he's having a vision. You know what that's like. You can have dreams, and in dreams you can do things you normally don't do. You can fly like Superman. You can jump over tall buildings. Amazing things happen in dreams. And that's what Peter figured he was having as a pretty good dream. Suddenly an angel's in the jail. Bright light nudges Peter, says, get awake, and the chains fall off. They walk right past the guards. The gate opens up for them, and they're in the street And Peter is out of prison. And then the angel leaves. And Peter realizes this is not a dream. It's not a vision. It really happened. He says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. As Peter realizes the king was out to kill him. And and the Jewish people were saying, hurrah, you know, kill that guy. But the Lord had delivered him. And so, Peter rushes over to the house of Mary, the mother of Mark John, you know, who wrote the gospel according to Mark. And he gets there. Now, something very awkward happens. He knocks at the door, but nobody opens up. He says, I'm Peter. I'm at the door. They said, no, you can't be Peter. He's in jail. You don't know whether to laugh or to cry. They've been praying, they've been praying, God released Peter, God did it. No, 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 Peter, you you can't be rescued. You you can't be out of prison. You're still there. It's it's not you. It's a very awkward, very uh, difficult situation also for Peter. You you can be sure he's looking over his shoulder. When are those guards going to wake up and pursue him and capture him yet another time? Anyway, finally, the people in the house do admit him, And we we read that Peter described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and he left for another place. The James here is a different James. The first James who was martyred is an apostle. This James is Jesus' brother. It's Jesus' brother who had become a leader of the church in Jerusalem. So Peter says, let the church know God has rescued me. But, but now i got to leave town because it's too hot here, it's too dangerous. And Peter moved on. This is 44 AD. Uh, to our calculations, Peter lived probably to about 65, 66 AD, another good 20 years. He got as far as Rome, working there for the establishment of the church. So the Lord had taken out, allowed James to be executed, the apostle. But for Peter, there was a program. And there was a plan, some amazing, marvelous work to do. Now, Herod, he's choked. He is so angry. And he takes those 16 guards, and after you know, quizzing them, he has them executed, 16 men killed because Peter escaped from prison. But the point is, God is in control. He has allowed James to die, Peter to escape. Another 16 men are executed. That God moves forward with his plan to gather, defend, and preserve his church. We need to realize that times of trouble in the church don't necessarily knock the church back on its heels. I've used this example a number of times. I don't know if I used it here. But in China, whenever a house leader in an underground church is arrested and beaten, loses his apartment, Then they tell us every time that happens the church grows like crazy. And it becomes really clear to the Chinese people that this church is real. This is something worth suffering for. It has the attention even of the politicians of this country. And that attracts people and draws them, no matter what the trials and tribulations might be, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That brings us to uh, the final point, a dead king in a dynamic church. What we have been saying about God always being there for his church is certainly made clear at the end of the chapter. We read about this incident where Herod goes north to Caesarea because there's a political problem up there. He deals with it. Everything works out well. And he has a speech. Man, is Herod Agrippa ever a popular man? The people said, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And after that, we read immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. And that puts the entire chapter into perspective, brothers and sisters. God is in control, He has a plan, and it's for the well being of His church. Yes, He has allowed James to die. He makes sure that Peter escapes. And the one man, this awful, vicious politician who is out to murder the Christians and who wants to have the status as a god, God strikes him down dead, and he's eaten by worms. It is an awful situation. Now, God doesn't say to the church, life is going to be perfect for you, idyllic, peaceful, we are walking in a world which is the valley of the shadow of death. It is a world, we live in a society today, brothers and sisters, which is becoming increasingly hostile to the church. Sometimes it's open, but, but often it's not even intentionally done. But simply the, the, the media, the culture, the entertainment, the values of our society are focused on things like material wealth, glory of people, sexual immorality. It's the engine that drives our society today. And it gets into the church, attracts people. As a parent, you're, you're desperate that, that your children understand the truth and stand on guard. We are constantly under attack. But we also know that our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the king, he's the good shepherd. And when we rely on him, We will walk safely through the valley of the shadow of death. And here's the last word in verses 24 and 25. The word of God continued to increase and and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. All is well with the church. In fact, the death of Herod Agrippa has even improved the situation of the church, the gospel spreading goes from Jerusalem to Galilee, throughout Judea and Galilee, to Caesarea, Antioch, Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, Spain, Egypt, and it goes on to the ends of the earth. And it has done that through men like Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark. The gospel is spreading. The theme of our sermon was something like this, even though it looks like things are are desperate or bad for the church. God moves in mysterious ways. God is always in control. The church does not flounder. The, The church is not running, scared like a rabbit. The church flourishes. It moves forward. The gospel spreads, and more and more people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that should give us absolute confidence in our lives as well. Brothers and sisters, the church is flourishing. It is robust. It is happy. It's a good place to be. And the Lord will always protect us. We've had a wonderful example of that here in Emmanuel, as well as in Providence with Vacation Bible School where there are people from our society, from the secular world, who drop off their children here in the morning and say, go ahead, teach them what you want. We, have, we had a child who, who was in vacation Bible school a year ago. She's back this year, and she says, every day I read my Bible and I pray to God. The church is not floundering. The church is moving ahead. If we place our trust in God, if we as a church community believe that Jesus Christ is in control and we follow him, we will not recede. We will move forward and we will be a light in this world also to attract many others to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our Father in heaven. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are an almighty God who is also a faithful Father. And you use your power, your control, which you have now given to Jesus as King of King and Lord of Lords to use as a rule over this world. You use that power for the gathering, defending, and preserving of the church. History has shown that, even in dark and difficult times. In the early church, when it was growing, when so much needed to be done, even though men like Stephen and James were executed, you still raised others, like the Apostle Paul, to bring the gospel to the world. And it has never looked back. The church has moved forward. It is now found throughout the world. People from every nationality and every color and every walk of life coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And no matter how much the devil hates the church and no matter how much the world is opposed and how much even natural causes can set us back, we always move forward because you are the king And you are moving us forward to a day that we will walk out of the valley of the shadow of death into the light of the eternal day, sitting at the wedding feast of the Lamb in the new heaven and new earth. We pray, Father, that we may have that confidence, that we trust in you, that we bring our lives and everything in it to you in prayer, knowing, trusting that you will provide and seeing the answers worked out in our lives in amazing ways. Father, some, sometimes people experience great difficulties when someone near to them, perhaps a, a spouse, a parent, or a child, suddenly dies. We pray, Father, that you would be near to them, and through their trials and tribulations, that you will test and strengthen faith and in this way bring people closer to you. It's not something we want or ask for, but in difficult times, we feel nearer to you. Faith becomes real. Faith becomes alive. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we may see that work out in our lives. We pray, for instance, for our brothers and sisters in, in China, where people are still being arrested because of faith in Jesus Christ, and even in recent years, there have been deaths, there have been executions, and people in prison, and people losing their livelihoods, their apartment. We ask, Father, that you would be with your church there, and and allow people to remain strong, liberate them from persecution, and allow your church to grow and flourish in, in that hostile environment. Father, we also pray for the special needs of the congregation. We thank you that you have blessed Andrew and Diana Gunink with a healthy baby girl, Megan. We pray, Father, that you would make all things well with this family and allow them to live together to the praise and the glory of your name. We also want to thank you that during the past week, Afka Reinink celebrated her birthday pray, Father, that you continue to be with our sister in her health and all that she needs. And we pray that she, with her husband and family, may live in the joy of salvation. We also want to thank you that Joel Slump had another birthday. Father, you know the unique situation of Joel. We pray that you continue to be with him, give him life, that he may serve you and be a blessing within his family and communion of saints. Father, we thank you that you kept our sister Samantha Kuntz and her daughter Jenna safe after an accident that had the potential to be very, very threatening to their health and to their lives. We pray, Father, that you continue to be with them, bring them nearer to you through this difficult experience. And we pray, Father, that you be with all of us. As we travel, especially in the summertime or on the roads. There's many people there. Danger is always around. Keep us safe when we journey. Father, we also want to thank you that Yelta and Christina Skafsma and their children have been worshiping with us. We pray that they will feel at home in our midst and, and want to be a, a part of this congregation. We pray that all newcomers, all visitors may quickly feel that this is a welcoming place, a place where you can know God and praise Him together. We ask Heavenly Father that you'd also continue to be with the minister of this congregation, Reverend Willem Slump, that you will give him health and strength together with his wife, Barb. We pray, Father, that you will allow our brother to have all the gifts he needs to continue to be a pastor and a teacher of this flock. Be with us now, Father, on our way home. We thank you for the beautiful weather. May we also have opportunity as time for, to have time as friends and family to celebrate together the good and wonderful things you have given to us. Forgive us our sins and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have an opportunity to give your gifts to the Lord for redemption prison ministry. After that, let's sing hymn 78 1 through 5.